if I ever made a movie that was devious, it's that, because it crossed over. In every high school in America, they're doing Hairspray now, which is two men singing a love song to each other, a movie that encouraged your white teenage daughter to date black guys. But no one notices that that's the message. They embrace it, and I somehow snuck that over. Where if you're watching Pink Flamingos and you come to see Pink, I'm preaching to the converted there. <laughs> I mean, the people that like that movie are already insane. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astro Radio Z is a horror cult exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. Welcome to another episode of Astro Radio Z. As always, I am your host, Mr. Derek Carey, and we are back to talk about some more John Waters tonight. The film we will be discussing is the 1988 dance classic, Hairspray. It's Madison time. Hit it. Baltimore. 1962, the heyday of hairdos and hair don'ts. We shall overcome someday. Not with that hair, you won't. Heartthrobs and hefty girls. Mama, welcome to the 60s. Hot dates and hip talkers. No matter what you've heard, we are going to teach the white children how to do the birds. Beatniks and hair hoppers. I can't see through her hair. And one magic potion that holds it all together. times they're a changing something's blowing in the wind let's get naked and smoke are you now or have you ever gone steady you got something against connie francis white trash plain and simple Fetch you my diet pills would you hon oh mother you're so 50s starring sonny bono ruth brown Divine, Michael St. Gerard, Debbie Harry, Ricky Lake, Jerry Stiller, and Sean Thompson. The new comedy from John Waters. It's way beyond Greece. Hairspray. I hope you guys enjoyed the polyester episode that we finally got out a couple weeks ago. But back tonight is my right-hand girl, Miss Amanda. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I am wonderful. (laughs) Next to her, well, virtually next to her, is Miss Angelique Bone. Hello. Hello. And all the way from sunny Baltimore... Is Mr. Seth Pollen of CelluloidTerror.com. Hello, sir. How you doing? How you doing? Welcome back. 
Thanks. I heard there was going to be mashed potatoes and gravy, and then uh, <laughs> found out it was just a dumb dance. So I don't know what I'm doing here tonight. Well, you better you better stomp on those roaches ah. that are running all over the place. And last but not least, our man, Mr. Gonzarific himself, Andrew Shearer. Hello, sir. Hey, man, I'm just here for the fat ladies. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, obviously, as I said before, we're going to be talking about the first I guess, quote unquote, mainstream film that John Waters did, Hairspray. Most people, when they hear John Waters' name, they usually think about two films. I know us as cult film fans, we immediately think of Pink Flamingos. But most people will say, oh, Crybaby or, oh, Hairspray. And uh, Hairspray, as most people know, has gone on not only... It was this film made subsequently there was a musical and then an adaptation of that musical a huge blockbuster Hollywood film which we actually finally watched last night I had never seen it and I kind of wish I hadn't seen it I agree but then <laughs> and now I think in two days uh, there's a new TV uh, adaptation of the musical again is that so so of everything, of anything and everything that John Waters has done in his career, this may be considered the high mark commercially of his career. Now, since seems how it's been a while since you've been on this show, Amanda. Mm-hmm. What is the plot of Hairspray? Oh, Hairspray follows around a young woman by the name of Tracy Turnblad. And... Uh, John Waters, as a side note, makes like the best names up for people. I wish he would somehow instantly know my personality and be able to rename me. Do you know how he does but, that? How he gets all his names? No. He has a book of baby names mm-hmm. that he's gone through for many years. And up until this point, he had almost used up every single name that was in that baby book. Must have been a small baby book. Well, he, think about the, well, the side characters. Well, yeah. Think about all the characters that are actually in his movies. Mm-hmm. And he comes up with all of these ridiculous names. So anyways. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyhow, the uh, Tracy Turnblad is a teen girl in high school. And she is obsessed with this show called the Corny Collins Dance Show. And in uh, through several twists and turns, ends up getting involved with the Corny Collins Dance Show and becomes a rival with... Um, um, kind of a stereotypical um, prep girl that everybody wants to be in high school, you know, thin, blonde, smart, blah, blah, and um, steals her boyfriend away and then becomes the queen of the auto show, which had been given, uh, awarded to a rival for many, many years. So throughout this, there's some um, interesting subplots relating to segregation and it kind takes of place in the 60s. Yeah, it takes place in the 60s right? in Baltimore in the 60s. I should have mentioned that. So there's some kind of segregation under undercurrents and outsiders kind of fighting against the normatives and um, things like that. Right. And also uh, it, it deals with body image, yeah, body image and, certainly, and the yeah. thought that only the pretty people yeah. deserve right. to be spotlighted on TV or in life in general. Well, and that's what I mean by the the kind of outsiders. Right. Right. Well, what's considered yes, outsider. In the plot of this movie. Right. 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 So there's a lot of really, of course, is always John Waters wants to subvert 
expectations. And even though this is a fairly straight laced, you know, uh, musical, there's still a lot of subversive undertones that go on. And I always thought this was a fairly straight laced film. I mean, growing up, watching it throughout the years, going back to this film after we've been doing these episodes and watching this stuff, I totally did not realize all, well, one, I'm much more aware of the the cast of uh, miscreants that are now in his films than before. I mean, I had watched, seen all these films before, but now watching these and us talking and going through these, all of the characters that were in other movies, like um, just let's go back to uh, Polyester, Divine's husband. He makes a cameo in, in this film. Uh, what was his name? Elmer uh, Fishpaw. <laughs> he's he's back in a bit part. John Waters actually comes in uh, in a bit Two part. Scenes, oh, yeah. probably the funniest part of this movie, I thought, is a is a hypnotherapist that's trying <laughs> to make Tracy Turnblad's uh, best friend no longer be attracted to African American men. He's cattle prodding this girl and has a spinning wheel that he's attempting to brainwash her with, and hilarious stuff. On top of, you know, all these dance numbers and the preppy atmosphere of the film, it's very forward thinking with the fact that the main character is a heavier set girl. Ricky Lake. All of the heroes, for, for the most part, the heroes of this movie are the black people. In heavier set people, mm-hmm. Andrew, like the castaways like Penny, where nobody thinks is like cool or popular. Right, Andrew, what do you what do you think of this? Is this the the new kind of like him trying to push the buttons? Is is to or is this just you know this is how uh, John Waters, you know, this is his world. This is what he perceives to be the norm. I mean, John Waters uh, throughout his old movies had th- the coolest music in him. You know, when we covered Mondo Trasho, Multiple Maniacs, it was clear that he had a killer record collection. And um, when you're watching a movie like Hairspray, you know, there's where where is he going to go? He clearly has got a huge budget this time and he's got New Line Cinemas giving him money and all of that. And so the idea to do a, a movie that's going to turn a profit, you know, consciously, Going forward from polyester, he's you know he made sure that he got an R rating. In this one, he makes a PG movie, and um, you could tell like a lot of kind of some of the directors will make a movie that's sort of informed by their childhood, you know, or some aspect of it or whatever. I think that's kind of what he was doing in this, but he still got you can see stuff from like female trouble in it, you know, not just divine playing up to a male and female like he did in that one but you know the kind of like the the uh, successor to the juvenile delinquents and all that too he still got that on the commentary track john waters uh talked a lot about the fact that this movie was heavily inspired by an actual baltimore tv show from back in the day that was very similar to this it was a dance review kind of like the mickey mouse club where they would have kids dancers that would come out and whatnot because the majority of the film itself as you had said is music. And next to Mondo Trasho, this film probably has per capita more music than any other John Waters film. And unlike most musicals, it's not songs that are sung by the cast um, that pertain to the plot. They are just straight songs from the back in the day that were tied to actual dances. Well, that's what I was going to say. When you referred to as a musical i never have considered hairspray a musical because what i think of as a musical is a character singing 
a song that portrays to the plot of the movie, like in Labyrinth, David Bowie is singing about um, getting Sarah to the middle of the castle and blah, blah, blah. And his and big this, bulge in his, his pants. His, uh, his, cod, his cod piece. First man I ever loved was David Bowie. But anyway, so I never considered this a musical. It's interesting that you do. Seth, what do you think? You think this is a musical? You know, uh, when I would think back on it, I would think of it as a musical. But I think that has more to do with having seen the remake before I went mm-hmm. back to rewatch it for this episode. And I realized mm-hmm. that there's no real singing in this. Right. And all of that memory came from the, the remake. So... No, I don't really think it's a musical. It's just a very music-driven film. Well, there is yeah. one section where a band called, I think, the Lavettes. Uh, Lafayette's. Or, the Lafayette's. The Lafayette's, thank you, which is a legitimate band where they sing a song. But it's it's just a track. It's almost like the Ed Sullivan show where a band would come in and they'd sing. And then all the kids would sit and dance around, which is one of my favorite scenes. Because the dude that, that plays the lead singer is just trying to be this ultra cool, aloof, like, <laughs> I'm not going to look at you, but you're going to swoon over me character. I love that sequence. Okay, all you little tykes, we got a real treat in store for you. A local group with a big hit record. Let's have a warm welcome. Come on for the Lafayettes. In reality, it I consider it a musical. There's a good 70% of this mu- movie is music and people dancing to that stuff. Angelique, your thoughts? Well, yeah, it's not it's definitely not a musical because the action doesn't stop and they don't all know the same song. This is you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so I'm getting okay, so that's three. Andrew, your final thought on that. Um I there are two parts in this movie where um, people break into song. Uh, one was a Tucson McCall doing, um, Oh God, nothing takes the place of you, which actually came out uh, like four years after this. The, the, like the song is later than the movie takes place, which is a little weird, but right. Right. You know, right. The real Tucson McCall is on stage doing his song. And there's another part where they're in the alley, which is like my favorite scene in the entire film. Yes. That doesn't involve Ricky Lake with her roach dress. Cause my God, <laughs> anyway, you know what I'm talking about? Like the guys walking through the alley where they're, you know, out back making out, whatever, and homies just right. sing a song. It's a beautiful moment. I'm like, is this a John Waters movie? That was a musical movie moment right there. And I feel the need of you because without you, nothing seems the same. So I'll wait until you're home. Again, Again, I'll love you, but I'm all alone. And oh, my darling. When I lived in Lutherville, Maryland with my parents, in a very white neighborhood, up the street was a little black section. There was a church and about 10 homes, right? And all the black people that lived there that would walk by the house at night singing 
And it was the most beautiful thing to me, singing like songs I heard on the radio a cappella just to themselves. But I would hear it at like nine years old outside my bedroom window, and it was the most beautiful thing I had ever heard in my life. And that's what I tried to put in this scene when they're in the alley and he walks by singing. I remember shooting the scene in the alley. We were so happy to be back in an alley. We always feel good in an alley. Mondo Trasher was all filmed in alleys. Yeah, it's music is a character in the movie. That's probably the best way you could say it. If you don't want to call it a, a like a, you know, like a, what we would consider like a, you know, according to the rules, music or whatever. It's, Hairspray is definitely a movie though where music is a, you know what I'm saying? It's definitely a, uh, one of the central characters. Right. Absolutely. And it's almost like, like I had said before, like Mondo Trasho, where it's, it's used in a very specific way to propel the plot. Yeah. And um, I love it. And it's unlike the remake, which, well, I guess we had talked off air that it's not really a remake. It's an adaptation. But the adaptation takes so many ties from the original so many nods and characters return and blah 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 these actually sing in that in that movie yeah the adaptation the is an actual is, musical yeah that's an actual music yeah the ad they the, the remake or whatever was done on stage right mm-hmm. so that's where they made the changes and the movie's just a version of that mm-hmm. right but i don't go it's hard for me to not say this is a musical 70% think, of this film is, think, is music and people dancing. To I think it. that the term music driven makes more sense. Than it it's it's kind of like the difference. It's like rock around the, it's like calling rock around the clock a musical. Well, didn't they do like a, um, a stage version of dirty dancing where they turned it into a musical? Mm, I don't know. Angelique. Yes. In tone, this film takes a dramatic departure from his previous films, even though there is still kind of a a little rude streak going throughout this entire thing. Um, What do you think of Hairspray in general? In general, I mean, it's enjoyable. It's not a sleaze fest, of course, and it it is for the most part family friendly. It's kind of heavy in parts. I mean, the whole segregation thing is a really heavy topic, but it's not like something that you should shield Minors from, I guess, in, in the sense that his other movies were things that like, well, you know, you don't want your eight year old to sit down and watch uh, Desperate Living, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. Well, there's still I mean, there's still some pretty heavy sexual undercurrents that are going throughout Hairspray. But the, A the, bit, but yeah, the <laughs> segregation aspect, do you, I mean, it's it's not it's kind of in your face, but it's handled in a very lighthearted way. If, yeah. if that's even possible, how do you think that was handled? I think it was handled beautifully, honestly, because, I mean, they, they got young people involved. Like as the movie progresses, younger and younger people become involved down to the, the children. What was it? The the youngest daughter of, of uh, Motormouth Mabel, mm-hmm. you know, getting involved and everything. Little like Inez. Yes, little Inez um, showing that, you know, kids can get involved in this kind of stuff and make a difference. The, uh, the handling of segregation was done really well because uh, it gets the message across beautifully, but it still doesn't make the film uh, overly heavy or so preachy. You can, you can watch it as a teenager or a young adult and not feel like you're having politics shoved down your throat uh, and just enjoy the movie, but still uh, subconsciously get that message. Absolutely. Uh, well, I would say some of the 
um, segregation content is done in such a way that it's almost making a joke of the fact that segregation used to exist. Well, there was there is absolutely some commentary on uh, how the ra- uh, the races related to each mm-hmm. other in the time. And there is there's certain dialogue within the film where John Waters is purposely poking fun at the fact that people are segregated and teenagers, even though, you know, they, they are portrayed as being scared of having to go into the colored quote unquote sections of town. But then there's, there's parts of the film where the kids are professing to each other, how they wish they were black too. And, and there was a period in my life, you know, and it's it's almost racist. I mean, when I when I only hung around with black people and only went to the black neighborhoods, and that's what the joke when they're outside and they say, "Oh God, I wish I was black. Our soul is, you know, all this ridiculous kind of stuff." And a rat comes by and she thinks it's beautiful. You know, that, that's a white kid for the first time being radicalized by black culture, which is exactly what's going on today with rap music. So even even though you know they're handling the the this really heavy subject matter, it's still done in that very lighthearted, you know, kind of irreverent John Waters way, where he could take a subject such as this and make it light and palatable. And I think that's a really successful way to have to try and like handle this type of thing. Mm -hmm. But Andrew, do you feel that kind of, kind of sidesteps the fact that maybe some of this subject matter should have been given a little bit more weight, or do you think that he handled this in a proper way? No, it was perfect, man. I mean, you gotta remember, I think, I think Mississippi burning came out the same year as hairspray. So, So that took care of it, you know, but you know, beyond that, it's like the, 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 the problems of race or the subject of racism and all that stuff. Usually it just was not something that anyone put into a comedy. Yeah, I mean, not, like not really, no, definitely not in the 80s. And, you know, with all the movies that were uh, kind of set in the 60s or 50s that happened in the, the 70s and 80s, um, Hairspray was one of the only ones to one of the only comedies of that ilk to really deal with this subject. And I thought it was awesome because John Waters, you know, I started to think about when I was watching, it's like, man, there's not a lot of black people in his movies. You know, you got Gene Hill, you know? Mm hmm. But she's not necessarily, you know, her her being black is dealt with a little bit, but nothing like when fucking Penny's mom gets out that car and starts yes. going down the street holding her purse. That's so good. Just freaking oh. out. Yeah, it's just one of the best scenes in history. And I forgot about it, that. It really is. The whole neighborhood is just cracking mm-hmm. up at her, just <laughs> losing her mind of being in a black neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. so they have that stereotypical, you know, bum drunk on the side of the street, and she she's just freaking out with this purse, you know, oh, take all my money, take all my money, and the drunk just wants to say hi and give her a drink of his drink, yeah. and she's like, take all my money, take all my money, and he's like, Oh, thank you. He gives her a wallet. <laughs> <laughs> no, you and can't then she me- no, goes sorry. to the police for help, and he's African American police officer, and she loses her mind and That's just so screeches good. away. Yeah. Yeah. No, they they had not figured. I would say they still kind of haven't figured out how to make movies about race that aren't super messagey and about just that. You know what I mean? And so hairspray. I mean, it's a oh. It's, I would say, genius, man. I wish John Waters had really gotten uh, into that in, in other in other movies. But in terms of Hairspray, the fact that it's not just about that is just one of the brilliant things about it, I would say. I, I think so, too. I, I One of the things that John Waters does so well, and we are accustomed to it at this point, he knows how to handle 
outsiders. He knows how to handle the people that are marginalized in society and not make them appear as, as freaks. He makes them appear as normal people, which they should be. They, it's, they, there shouldn't be a ton of attention drawn to these. They're just people. They're just normal people. Some well, Tracy describes today. herself as an integrationist. Mm-hmm. Yes. And right. she's yeah. at odds with the kids for a, being an outsider, but also because her views are progressive. Well, I was thinking when I was watching this, uh, the first time I saw it, I was probably in my mid-teens. And... Then, you know, I watched it again probably several years later, but now I haven't seen it since I watched it today while I was making our flaming dinner. <laughs> I haven't um, I haven't watched it in probably seven or eight years. And I I didn't remember how much of the movie there was segregate the conflict around segregation. And I think that really speaks to his ability to um, kind of be able to move it in and out of the film without having it be so overpowering that like what Seth was saying, you're getting such an intense political message that you're, you know, he's able to just kind of lace it here and there and bring it in and out. And um, when you take it in these kind of small pieces it blends, I don't know, it just blends itself nicely into the film. Right. All the characters, nobody's, I mean, here's here's the main thing. We're dealing with segregation. We're, we're also dealing with uh, protests and things of this nature, yet there's no violence. Right. Um, everyone's. There, and there isn't any overt um, intimidation or overt uh disrespectful behavior no there's the no derogatory right. language Correct, right towards each other um and it's it's handled in the the typical john waters lighthearted yeah. we're just going to have fun with this yeah. kind of way well I, I should say um overt insults in terms of race because the character, the, well, the all the characters character. insult each other. Well, constantly. right, right, right. But but you don't see that in relationship to the segregation issue. Is Absolutely, what I'm tra- is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, of all of his films, I don't think you could you could find a more light film, even though it deals with very heavy so- uh, subject matter. This film, it just like is a at an hour and twenty minutes flies by when i watched it this last time i hadn't seen it in years i love this movie there's it it's still from as we had talked about in the last episode for polyester there's something about his movies where each film that bookends each movie now looking back on it in retrospect there's elements of both of those movies that that you could see where he's going to go and where he's been. And there's still some of that irreverent humor from polyester bleeding over to this film. And if you're looking for it, it's still very much mm-hmm. there. There's still a lot of high camp. You're, you, you don't get as much of the, the Dreamlanders. They're all very much relegated to either bit parts or in a, a very understate like divine in this movie which unfortunately this would be her last role she would die very soon after this film was completed and released she plays this absolutely straight there's there's no camp to her performance she looks 
wonderful in this. She looks so genuine. She she looks like she was born for this role. It's the first role where she's not screaming her lines. No, <laughs> she is so sweet and charming in this film as Tracy's mom. She's a coddling mother. Right. She loves her daughter. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. So before this, obviously, the irreverent humor that was in polyester is bleeding over to this in, in very small amounts. But then the next film, Cry Baby, is, is a straight up musical. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike now, can we agree Cry Baby's a musical, right? Oh, oh yeah. absolutely. <laughs> OK, OK. We can at least agree on that one. But but uh, that reliance and lightheartedness of Cry Baby is in this film where it's much more mainstream and it's not trying to push buttons in an offensive way. It's trying to push buttons in the way that is trying to tackle a little headier subject matter. On oh, you can see a little bit of, of, of offensiveness and John Waters kind of um, grotesque, if I can word it that way in some scenes, for example, one of the main protest scenes, the kid, one of the kids, um, protest signs has the word asshole written on it in bubble oh, yeah. letters and the O is an asshole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Was there anything else that anyone else kind of noticed that had that signature a stamp Just a little of, of, of John Waters, Andrew? I did the cockroach stuff. Mostly yeah. the, the diet pill reference with the vines. Like, my diet pills were, and I was like, oh, oh, that's going to make a good L7 song. <laughs> <laughs> Seth? Uh, Divine at one point asked Tracy if she took her uh, appetite suppressing pill. <laughs> <laughs> no, not exactly the, the best thing to go about with a teenage girl. Angelique to be honest I didn't even notice the asshole sign I'm gonna have to go back and and watch that it's in the second half of the movie it's okay in the second half of the movie and they're protesting the uh segregation of the um dance I think it was and they're they're picketing and she's got a picket sign and I you you never see what it says other than asshole. So you don't know what it says above, if there is even anything above the word asshole. Right. All you see on the sign is asshole. And the O is, is, a, is a puckering asshole. It's a puckering <laughs> asshole. Among the PG rated films in mm-hmm. movie history, it's got to be the only one with a hand drawn anus in it. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, you do. You still see, there's still, if you look for it, you still see kind of goofy John Waters sleaze. They're making out in the back alleyway and it's supposed the to be this thing. big. Yeah. The blemished face. And when the mom is, when uh, Debbie Harry's popping her daughter's zit and flicks oh, the pus on the floor, when um, they're making out in the alleyway and just having this kind of grope fest and a rat yeah. crawls across. Go to, go to second base. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the rat crawls across her foot and she kicks it out of the way. And So if you look for it, it's still there. It's toning down. But it's still there. Well, it never really officially goes away. Right. There's still a lot of even in Cry Baby with Tracy Lords and some of the stuff that happens at, you know, the family's compound, quote unquote. It never really officially completely goes away. But uh, I as I said before, like Angelique, watching this movie throughout the years, I guess it just like totally passed by me. And for some reason. This time I'm I'm picking apart. It's like, holy shit, there's a lot of really weird shit going on in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so um, seems how we have talked every single episode about Divine 
And this will be the last time, unfortunately, that we'll get to talk about her in any of John Waters films. Let's go around the horn and let's talk about uh, Divine in this movie a little bit. Angelique, what do you what do you think about how Divine was uh, portrayed as Tracy's mom in this film? And uh, in general, do you think this was going to be the next turn in her career to being a more straight actor? I think so. She was absolutely precious. She was so, like like Amanda said, heartwarming, and she was a mom. She was a complete and total mom, and I've got my ironing to do, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I truly did love her as Edna. You know, she was, you know, trying to be the hardline mom and then realized, oh, wait, you know, this is really what she wants to do. And then turning around and getting totally into the, the show and, and being the, um, Oh, I can't remember the name of the store, the spokes model and the Pinkerton's, um, yes. hefty hideaway. Oh yes. yeah. Yeah. The hefty hideaway spokes mom and everything. You know, I really do think that, that had she lived longer, that she would have really broken out as, as a more serious, um, actress because this was it. She was a real, person you know uh francine fishpaw was close it was still the divine we had known yes exactly but this here this was divine as an actual human being right it was beautiful absolutely and i know from this point on he was really looking to get more roles as a man after this point and andrew i know you're a huge uh, fan of married with children um do you care to kind of talk about what ultimately ended up happening to divine and uh uh, the unfortunate tie to married with children and how uh divine passed away yeah i mean divine was you know we talked about in the last episode uh um less than the dust the paul bartell movie that was one of his last roles um trouble in mind um i think the final one was um out of the dark and it didn't come out until after uh, after he was dead but yeah he was supposed to um have a role on the show married with children i mean it was going to i mean it was all set like it wasn't like you know is he going to do it or not i mean it was just you know, died right before they're supposed to shoot it. So it was a heart attack, you know, it's just really, really kind of sad and unfortunate because the hairspray role um, was his, his, the reviews he was getting, the reviews the film was getting were great, but the reviews Divine was getting were amazing. I mean, it was seen as his breakout role. I mean, this was supposed to be, this looked like it was going to be it. So if you're going to talk about the career of a great performer and actor and talk about John and Divine together, if it's going to end and it had to, isn't this the way that you would want to? Because this is this is John Waters on top. This is a million dollar movie, and how great it was! I mean, you know, honestly, the only way it could have been better, and this is dumb, but um, if if Divine had played uh, Tracy too. Well, originally that was the intention. Mm-hmm. Originally, Divine was trying to push John in order to have him play a dual both role, characters. both characters in this film. <laughs> well, he he does have two characters. Divine does have two characters in this role. Yes, but again, not, we get the male yeah. male version and the female version, but in uh, the, much smaller dose of the male version. Right, right. And uh, Seth, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, I think I think you guys have nailed it. I think Andrew really summed it up pretty well. But um, 
I don't know how it would have worked out if Divine was also Tracy, just from a looks and size standpoint. I mean, Divine was really large at this point, and uh, I don't know if it would have pulled off as a teenager as well, but I thought, <laughs> you know, she was great in both roles. Um, the male role, smaller, but I thought, you know, she nailed the nastiness of that really well. And of course, just as the loving mother who wants nothing but the best for her daughter totally nailed it. And you could definitely see why she was getting rave reviews and was ready to break out. I also agree that I don't know how it would have really worked with her as both roles, but thankfully they found Ricky Lake to be uh, the lead actress. And this is Tracy Turnblad and she is wonderful. I was going to say about 10 minutes into watching this movie and seeing divine too. This is the, within 10 minutes, I thought to myself, this is the first time I'm watching Divine not play a caricature of a character. Of a woman. Of a woman, right. Like a caricature of a woman as opposed to the character of a woman. As as opposed to being a woman. Yeah, right. So in this, you just see Divine, Divine's acting talent as opposed to like the caricature of what the character should have been. Right, that right. Makes sense. Yeah, no, totally. I, I think you have to give credit where credit is due. Casting of this movie is amazing. Mm-hmm. Everyone in this movie does a great job from top to bottom. Deborah Harry is in this and her husband, Sonny Bono, mm-hmm. in this movie. There's so many amazing actors that are involved with this movie. Yeah, like I just said, Deborah Harry and Sonny Bono play um, Tracy Turnblad's arch nemesis's parents, and they are fabulous in this movie. One of my favorite scenes in this movie is where uh, Deborah Harry is uh, making her daughter dance in her room and keeps telling her, go faster. Go faster! Don't stop! And, and, and the daughter is just kind of awkwardly going faster, just trying <laughs> to get it done in the bedroom. I love that sequence so much. Uh, but then um, the family unit, the core family unit of this film, which is Divine, uh, Ricky Lake, and Jerry Stiller as the dad who owns the the joke shop, the, joke shop. the Hardy Har, Hardy Har Har. Yeah, the hardy har har, um, <laughs> which which unfortunately in the movie, the theatrical uh, cut of this film, um, you don't really get much about, you know, that because it was a deleted scene um, where they actually go into the hardy har har and you get to see the shop and all that stuff. Now you just see these awkward scenes where Jerry Stiller is throwing gag <laughs> jokes at people yeah. and stuff like that. Um, but what did you think of that stuff, Seth? Uh, at the end of the auto show, when he's messing with with uh, the Von Tussles by throwing itching powder and fake worms on them. And you can tell he's just having the time of his life doing this. I was rolling and cackling watching this. It's a grown man throwing itching powder on two other adults. (laughs) I love Jerry Stiller is amazing in this movie. He's so funny. He's really, really great in this movie. Andrew, what were what were some of your uh, favorite actors that were involved in this? Ricky Lake. I think we need to sit, take some time and actually talk about Ricky Lake because this is her first film, and it absolutely was a breakout film for her. And she was found in the casting process because, obviously, as we talked about before, um, Divine was really trying to make a push to be that character, but John was in ch- was just not having it. He didn't. He wanted to find somebody that in 
embodied this. He wanted a kid, an outsider. And not only did he find that person, he found somebody. He uh, This is a very important aspect of Hairspray. He found somebody outside of the normal body type to be the hero of this movie. And I think in you don't see this in big budget films at all. You don't see a bigger girl not only become the heroine of the film, but get the, the sexy boy fall in love with her and is handled with respect. What do you and uh, Amanda, what do you what do you think of how Tracy Turnblad and this whole notion of like destroying body image in this movie? How do you think this is handled? I think it's really ahead of its time. We're starting to see that first now in 2016. We're starting to see that in mainstream film and media. Um, so I think it's really ahead of its time, but I agree with you. I, <laughs> from the second that Link lays his eyes on her. He is hot to trot. He wants to get it he in. He wants to get it in. And she is just like super body confident. And she's doing all these sexy little hip thrusts and wiggles. And I love it. Yeah, it's super fun. Angelique, what do you think of uh, Tracy Turnblad in this and Ricky Lake? Oh, God, Ricky Lake is amazing. And and Tracy, that's it, like, you know, me. I'm like, oh, there I am. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, I, I love that character. And, and like Amanda said, you know, just her, she doesn't give a flip. Yeah, she's fat. She doesn't care. She's a growing girl. She wants that mac and cheese. <laughs> she's going to eat some mac and cheese. And then she's going to go pelvic thrust all over the place. I mean, and steal that. your man. That's right. I got your man, girl. What? <laughs> He's going to eat mac and cheese with me. And then we're going to go pelvic thrust. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the best Friday night ever. You know, because I mean, who doesn't want some mac and cheese? I, I love it. It's one of my favorite aspects of this movie is that you have this totally atypical, not only the, all the heroes are the underdogs, as is normal in John Waters films, but you have this heavier set. Well, she's not. Well, she's kind of short, not as short as she is in the in the remake. I mean, that girl's really short, mm-hmm. um, but you have this very atypical character that literally is just blowing everyone's minds throughout this. Andrew, I know in Gonzarific films, you you tackle this a lot. You are a big proponent of kind of destroying this body image that we as exploitation filmmakers and horror filmmakers are kind of, you know, the popular films, you're not supposed to have bigger bodied girls as the heroines because it supposedly, quote unquote, doesn't sell. You always get, you know, the bikini girls and they get naked and they always are the last ones to live. And they're always the ones that are front and center stage. But um, John Waters in Gonzorific, I'm sure this is very conscious, tossed that idea away. Was this a, a big, huge influence on you as a filmmaker seeing this movie? No, I mean, I just mostly I just was like, because Tracy's my type. I'll just say that. That's to who I always went after. A lot of the girls I dated looked like Tracy. And to be honest with you, you could tell a lot by how somebody will fuck how they dance. You know? <laughs> what? High five. Am I wrong about that? No, High you're five. not. I'm, I'm to be, okay. And so when I was seeing her move, I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> 
it was just destroying me, man. Um, but you know, with, 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 with guns are you know, I just, I just boiled it down to the, the very basic of it is like, there is a whole lot of magazines and clothing manufacturers and all type of motherfuckers that their whole thing hinges on people hating themselves. And it goes no basic, more basic than this. If big people are seen as awesome and sexy and are in the fashion shows, they're going to have to make, spend more money on fabric and they don't want to do that. So, you know, they're like, nah, it'd be a stick so we can make cheap clothes. that's made out of one string. It just is basic. It's basic, cheap ass shit. So I, I think, um, you know, the, the, the real world, you and I, the rest of us know, and everybody that's seen hairspray knows what the real deal fucking is. And that is, the, you know, all type. Everybody is a good body. All bodies. All bodies. And just because they want to sell you one thing doesn't mean that that's the way, you know what I'm saying? That's the way everything else is. And so to be, uh, you know, John Waters is, was the first one to just champion everybody, you know, and uh, that's that's what I do too. I want to see um, the, the what I find sexy to be reflected in the in um, in media, and you know it's not quite there. I could give you a list of names that I that I'm a fan of, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but but um, I'm gonna get wildly off track and I'm gonna lose my mind thinking about this. I'll just say, yeah, Tracy Tracy Turnblad's my type. If I would have went to that school, I would have been, you know, maybe try to put my my number in the in the hat or whatever. I've always just really loved movies that aren't the same as everything else and how John Waters handles these types of characters has always appealed to me. I've always loved people that are just real people. These are real people you would have seen on the street. Well, and what I like about Ricky Lake's confidence or Tracy Turnblad in this film is her confidence. There isn't this building up phase where she's coming out of her shell. She hits the ground fucking running. Yeah. There is no pussyfooting around with this. She is happy with who she is and, and her life. I mean, from Mm -hmm. the opening sequence Mm -hmm. where she drags her friend home to sit and dance in front of the TV. (laughs) Those two are just loving life. They're dancing, shaking their ass in front of the TV and smiling and just loving it. And they show up to that dance hall in order to try and audition to be on the show. And not once did they which which I thought was really interesting and we'll talk about the remake a little bit in a bit how they changed that mm-hmm. in the remake mm-hmm. but in the in the original John Waters version Tracy is an ass kicker mm-hmm. and she has confidence that's why when she goes and is fighting for integration she has no second thoughts she doesn't care about what anybody else's thoughts are whether she's fitting in uh, in the norm to be on this TV show or to to be cool and in part of the hip crew. No, she is a confident, sexy, intelligent woman that is just she's an individual. And I absolutely love her. There's a lot. If you listen to the commentary track, Ricky Lake, she talks about how at that time, that's who she was. Mm-hmm. She was. And unfortunately, as she would start to get more in the business, she would get more body conscious. And, you know, she lost all that weight and she had a lot of problems with body image going forward. But at that time when uh, Hairspray was made and John uh, found her, she was that ass kicker and was fearless 
and didn't care. I mean, you would see her. She's even bigger in Crybaby. And she's just as confident, mm-hmm. just as fun. She's snotty. She, she's got uh, such attitude and such character. And she's super fun in these movies. I love her. Uh, Seth, what do you think of Ricky Lake in this? Uh, she's powerful in it. And I don't think it would have worked with anybody that wasn't actually confident in who they were. And I think the whole thing speaks to just surrounding yourself with people that appreciate you for who you are. Everybody in her life supports her for who she is. Uh, her mother loves her and wants the, the corny Collins show to be her catapult to fame. Uh, Jerry Stiller constantly talks about how beautiful she is, even when someone else says she's fat. Uh, her friend loves her for who she is. Motormouth Maybell, Seaweed, all these people just love her for who she is. And uh, it speaks to the confidence that she has in herself. And I think it works great. And she's perfect for the role. Absolutely. And isn't it funny how everyone that's in the square white community is so body conscious and so worried about how they look to everyone and how the other side, everyone that's on Tracy's that are in Tracy's group of friends and a family, they don't care about such things. They care about being good to each other. Well, it's another form of segregation. Absolutely. It's another level of segregation. Absolutely. And the, the way that this is written and the people that are involved, everyone is just really charming in the family. I love the family unit like Jerry Stiller, Divine and uh, Ricky Lake are so good together in this. They're movie. a believable family. Absolutely. I love them. I absolutely love them. So if you were to say what would be your favorite part of this movie, uh, Amanda? Uh, I really like the scenes where Ricky Lake is dancing in front of a TV because that's something that I've done. <laughs> I think it's super it makes it relatable. relatable. Yeah, that's it. It makes it relatable. <laughs> I think that's like uh, most of this movie. John Waters has said in the past that most of this movie really stems from his childhood. Yeah. He used to be that person. He'd run home to watch this local Baltimore TV show, this dance TV show and learn all these dances. Yeah. And this, it, you, it shows that this is something that he experienced and that he had deep passion for. Yeah. Or the scene at the very end where Tracy Turnblad just kind of that victory moment where she is embracing all of the, terms that everybody called or you know trashy and whore and roach and all these other things and she just comes out so victorious in this pink dress with black cockroaches on it and she don't give a fuck yep she destroys everyone makes them all do the bug yes where they're doing the dance where they're eating the bugs yeah. and scraping them off them and all that that's- and i think that goes back to John Waters and some of his nod toward the trashy, like you see in all those other films, is really, really, really overt in all of the other films. And then this, that's a moment where, she, I mean, when you think of filthy, grimy, you think of a cockroach, maybe. Mm-hmm. And here she is looking beautiful and stunning, and everyone loves her and is applauding her. And she has cockroaches over her the, the dress. Funny, the funny thing about this is, is that those dances, you think that John Waters would have made those up. Those are actual real dances. <laughs> and he, he kept that in his back pocket for years mm. where he's just like, he thought those were so hilarious. But those dances of do the bug and do the roach and, and all that legitimate dances he saw on that TV show. Oh, my gosh. It's insane. Seth, what was your favorite part of this movie? 
I think um, Tracy's debut on the Corny Collins show when <laughs> Penny rushes home to get Tracy's parents to turn on the TV and they're all watching it together and they give Tracy her first close up and Penny just yells at the TV. <laughs> Hi, Tracy, it's me, Penny. And Divine just turns to her with the straightest face. She can't hear you. Penny. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just played so... So soft and straight, and I cracked up. The <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene. But there's Supposedly. one scene that was left on the cutting room floor, apparently, of uh, Tracy had roaches in her hair, and that's how, like, the whole cockroach thing got started in this. Oh, yeah, right. And hmm. I wondered. What to put someone through and then not put it in the movie. Did well, they put the roaches in their ear? Oh, yeah. Oh! oh, yeah, real roaches, apparently. Yeah. No, like, it was like Amber and her cronies. Didn't they put roaches oh, in yeah, their yeah, ear? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But well, I would have to have actually seen that. Well, supposedly, there were, this was a very hard shoot on Ricky Lake. Like she recollects that this was one. It was it was shot during the summer. And it was very hot. A lot of the locations didn't have air conditioning. They were doing this, and especially the one record shop toward the end, where they're all dancing in that tiny little record shop, was supposedly just in the hundreds of degrees, and people were passing out. But <laughs> uh, Ricky Lake actually is. <laughs> it's funny when you listen to her talk about it. She feels. The worst thing about this movie is when uh, John Waters made her bleach blonde her hair for that that sequence and that her hair never returned oh back to, because of that. And that, that killed her for years oh. to have to bleach blonde her hair for that sequence, which is another scene that was cut out of the film when she supposedly went blonde. Oh. So there's a bunch of plot points that are lost. Uh, because it seems just to trim this down, but I'll be honest with you, I love how short this movie is. Yeah, I think it makes it absolutely fly by. Angelique, what's your favorite scene in this? The beatniks. <laughs> oh, Pia Zadora is Enrico Kasich. I'm so I, glad you brought I, them up. I have loved that scene since I was, you know, since the first time I saw this movie. I love it. Uh, they're just like I wanted to be a beatnik. I was like, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> I actually ironed my hair just like she described as a result of her description uh, in the movie. When I was a kid, I commissioned my sister to iron my hair with my mom's iron. Oh, my, hair, yeah. my hair is naturally really, really curly. And we watched this movie and I was like, what? You can just iron it? You can iron your hair. <laughs> <laughs> so we did it. And, the, and what was the result? Looks like shit. <laughs> <laughs> you can only get an iron so close to your scalp. Right. Oh, of course. And so the the root of my hair was all, all fuzzy and curly, but then the ends were straight. I looked like I stuck my finger in a light socket. <laughs> <laughs> I my favorite thing about that scene is you know eventually Rick Ocasek is just hanging out in the background yeah. trying to paint this. He's not painting yes, anything. Man. He's just like bouncing up and down and like pointing at this, this canvas, and then eventually he just shoves his head through it. And when they're like, let's get hot naked and. Naked. and Smoke grass. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say they're suggested to get naked and do drugs. All right. Yeah. If that's a beatnik, sign me up. <laughs> While she's reading Howl, I remember there. there's this interview with John Waters where he talked about how he had to talk to um, 
Ginsburg to get permission to to use those lines from Howell in the film. And Ginsburg's like, no, you're making fun of my shit. He's like, no, I fucking love Howell. What are you talking about? But he got him. Everything about that sequence is hilarious. The kids are all like, uh, I think it's time for us to go now. (laughs) I love that scene, man. I love it. Andrew, what's your favorite part of this movie? I like when Tracy eats the, um, the snowball on TV. Oh, yes. <laughs> she, she does yeah. it twice. I always like, I didn't never, I don't like it when, when girls wouldn't eat in front of me, man. And not only does she eat, she eats a, a snowball at twice on television. That's, <laughs> that's just, yeah, I gotta, that, that gives me the feels, man. <laughs> She's modeling a dress for the Hefty Hideaway. God, and there's, Hefty Hideaway was real. I would do their commercials I, for free. I said to I said to Derek when we were watching when we were watching the remake last night or the adaptation of the musical last night. I said, "My God, if the Hefty Hideaway was real, I'd be shopping there every day." Yeah, you get the Claire's, man. Yeah, you think yeah. Lame Bryant would take a page out of their book? I know. I shop there more often. I know. Like, Where you go? When you go in, seek panties. Give me a donut. <laughs> yeah, I'm a plus. I'm plus sized. And so when I go into department stores to go shopping and I'm in the plus size section and I'm always really fucking bummed by the clothes that are in there. If I had a, the hefty hideaway, those bitches were fly. Right? Yeah. They well, they were moo-moos. It wasn't a bunch yes. of moo-moos. Let's make a petition. Bring okay, back yeah. the hefty hideaway. Bring about the hefty hideaway. Okay, let's be honest. Is it the fly clothes or the fact that there were donuts all over the place? Both. What's okay. that yeah. to Both. like? Both. Uh, just think about if they said, let's get naked and smoke, and she did. <laughs> <laughs> let's get naked and smoke a, a, a eclair. <laughs> the smoke. You, you put the joint through the eclair. So while you're smoking, yeah. you can take a bite at the same time. Uh, a snowball bong or a snowball. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Tracy Turnblad is my spirit animal. Right? <laughs> I smoked Aroa Oreos for breakfast. Shit, yeah. It was wonderful. <laughs> I like to cut mine up into lines. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is getting really dark very quickly here. So... <laughs> So uh, at the end of the day, I think it's safe to say we all really love this movie. Um, so did a lot of other people, as I had alluded to before. This was the most commercially successful of all of John Waters films. This film, surprisingly enough, had a two million dollar budget and raked in eight point three million dollars at the end of the day. Hmm. So a very successful film. It's a very beautiful film. Lots of elaborate dance numbers. There are crane shots, uh, very vibrant colors all throughout it. The TV set um, with the, the the Corny Collins show with just all these. Uh, it looked like old 50s TV set, uh, even though. It was all shown in black and white on actual TV, but the sets were very garish and very colorful. I don't know. Guys, let me know if you thought this, too. Did you think that um, the Von Tussle's house kind of oddly looked like Queen Carlotta's (laughs) place? (laughs) Kind of. I just so there was so much going on on the walls and on 
everything. It totally threw me back to not only uh, Desperate Living, but also Female Trouble. Those uh, sequences where they were in the like the um, the cage room. With I think real- it reminded me more of that than Queen Carlotta, but I definitely see where you're coming from now that you pointed out. There was so many little nods, I thought, to a lot of the previous films <laughs> that, that I was just like, this time really blew my mind watching this movie because it was just like that. What do you, you're, Amanda's dying over here. What do you think so goddamn funny about that? This image of Edith Matsy shoveling eggs in her face <laughs> jump into my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I miss Edith Massey. How how amazing would it have been if Deborah Harry's character was actually Edith Massey? Oh my God. <laughs> oh, Amber, so you've got to dance faster. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been amazing. Yeah. And Amber's doing that awkward faster dance. <laughs> Try to no act white on television. Uh. <laughs> Tracy, you're the most drinkingest gal I've ever seen. <laughs> Oh, Edith Massey. God <laughs> rest her soul. It's, Get it, her, her. <laughs> yeah, really. Okay, so we kind of just brushed by the Dreamlanders. So we have Divine. This was her last picture. We had uh, Mary Mary Vivian Pierce, who, who literally is a blip on the screen. And if you weren't looking for her, you would not know. Because at this point, she started looking drastically different than she had been in a lot of the previous films. And Mink Stoll, who plays like a stagehand mm-hmm. who holds up uh, signs such as falsies because <laughs> <laughs> some of the girls stuff their bras in this. Um, and she was very understated in this film, barely had any dialogue, actually. Right. But she was still wonderful. What What do you think of Mink Stoll? No, I'm thinking, what did uh, Mary, where was Mary and Vivian Pierce? She was literally in one of the outside sequences where they're going past a group of people, the shots tracking uh-huh. across people standing in a line. And she's she's just like, I think, grooming a, a child. That, oh, a part of that. that you would plan. never know it was her unless I it was see. pointed out to oh, you. Oh, I see. Yeah. I mean, I reckon there sir Mink Stoll, you pick up just immediately. Well, yeah, of course, of course. But, of course. Yeah. OK. That's all I was thinking. About right. Was, right. Was well, I think just physically, Mary Vivian Pierce uh, started uh, dramatically looking different mm-hmm. at that point. Well, she was what, sick. She had, I guess, yeah. I think at one point later. Yeah. Oh my! Yep. So, uh, but that's it. I mean, from this season, point, Lowe is credited as being in it too, but I could not tell you where. I have no idea either at all. Yeah, her credit um, is angry mom or something like that. <laughs> is it the one in the line um, when uh, seaweed and little Inez are trying to get in? Yep, that's Mary Vivian Pierce. That's that scene. Okay. Uh, yep. Yep. So before we wrap this up, let's go ahead and let's talk about the remake a little bit. Oh, if we have to. Well, I think it. this is the movie now when people talk about Hairspray. This is the movie they talk about. They no longer talk about the John Waters film. The John Waters film's almost been relegated to obscurity at this point. Because the 2007 adaptation of the Broadway musical, which I actually went to see and I thought was fabulous, super fun. They changed it from being, what did you guys call it? Not a musical. Musically but a, driven. A musically driven film 
I, I have a hard time choking that down. I can tell. But, but really. <laughs> they turned it they turned it into an actual musical where the people are singing songs pertaining to the plot and this and that. And it's really fun and really charming. And this the adaptation, God, I can't it's a remake. It really is a remake of the film. Mm-hmm. But anyways, they they stretch it from this taut hour long hour and 20 minute long movie to a two hour long musical film. Oh, it was horrible. You thought it was, I thought the first half of it was really, really the le- fun. The length of it was horrible is what I'm saying. I know Seth likes this one a lot because he had, to, he sat one day wow. without wow. anyone wow. forcing him to do this and watched it four times in a row. Seth, would you like to speak about this? What? Let's get the details straight here. <laughs> <laughs> one, I wouldn't say I love it. Two. <laughs> I was absolutely forced to watch it while being a substitute teacher for a music class. And my lesson plan for the day was show every class hairspray the, the remake. So I got to see it four times in a uh, about a nine hour span. Oh, my God. So, uh, yeah, it has a place in my heart, I guess. Uh, I don't think it's that bad. I think it's enjoyable. Like Derek said, for the first half. I think, um, what the hell is his name? Travolta is bad. Just horrible. The worst character. He he is the downfall of the movie. I think the movie in general is super charming, really funny, oddly subversive. I didn't expect it to be as subversive as it was. John Waters has an amazing cameo as a flasher, to which I immediately asked Amanda, do you think he has a turkey neck tied to his dick? But... um, (laughs) We'll never know. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, after that, Seth, after that first half, what do you think? Yeah, it just, it like you said, it drags on. It doesn't need to be two hours. And uh, I mean, overall, as a mainstream remake of a John Waters film, it's probably far more successful than it had any right to be. You know, you can you can live without seeing it if you've never seen it. I think Christopher Walken's character, Tracy Turnblad's dad, is the funniest thing I have seen in a long time. It's so stupid and corny. Christopher Walken does such a great job. Well, they expand the the dad character and they actually show the hardy har hut. And uh, all in Christopher Walken plays that stoic dead so man i look like i'm about to fall asleep and i don't give a fuck about anything christopher walken and he, he just he's great in comedies that's why i love seeing him in comedies mm-hmm. he just literally looks like he doesn't want to be there he's the, the best part time. of the whole movie to me <laughs> i thought it was super fun angelique have you seen the uh the remake Oh, yeah. I kind of treated it the same way I treated the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. I just kind of pretended that the original didn't exist and this was a completely new thing. And eh, it wasn't that bad, but I've only seen it once, if that says anything. (laughs) And I'm a sucker for musicals. I'll probably only have ever seen it once. Yeah, I don't think you definitely try and marathon it four times. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's when it really starts to shine. What parts of it were astonishing to you the fourth time around that were not the first time around? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I was I was ready to clock out. 
we actually started it watching it in our theater room and we're like giving it, you know, a genuine watch like we would with other movies. And I thought we, we were having a real fun time. Yeah, with it. just joking around and we had mixed each mixed a drink and just relaxing and watching it together. And then um Derek at one point grabbed the Roku because we were streaming it through the Roku stick, grabbed the Roku stick and checked to see how much time was left on it. And we both saw that we had over an hour left and we're like, no, <laughs> what? You gotta be fucking kidding yeah. me. Yeah. So then we, at one, we got about another 20 minutes in or something and stopped it. And I said, all right, let me walk the dog and then let's go crawl in bed and finish watching yeah, the one, I love this we world like, we live break. in. Yeah. I love this world we live in now where you can literally stop a movie in one room and just walk into another yeah. room and start it up yeah. without with it being in the exact same spot. Well, oh, we both, it, we're in the future, people. This is the future. We both mentioned that um, all of the, the music was very good in it, of course, as a musical, the, the composition of the songs and, th- and the place was fun. really, really good. Yeah. yeah. But there was so the volume of it was fatiguing every 10 or 12 minutes. There's, well, a full song and 10 dance or 12 routine. minutes. There's only like maybe 30 seconds between each song. In. Oh, it was intense. And you could tell like, well, and Derek is the first one who said this. He's like, well, they have John Travolta and Christopher Walken. So they have to use them because there was a lot more of Divine's, um, character. Divine's character in this film. A lot more of the dad's character in this film than there were in, in the previous films. And those two were the the kind of big ticket um big ticket actors in this film yeah i think in, in general i i think it's a good movie i i it's not made for it's not the same film no it's it, it, in tone it's I definitely not this, in tone i would show this to your daughters but i wouldn't show them the original hairspray no, I'll never show you know what i mean so that's what i'm saying well you know i think you understand what yes I'm no i i understand what you're that co- this is far yeah. more of a mainstream musical yeah. far more of a film geared toward the mainstream Absolutely. than hairspray was despite the fact that this was john waters attempt at a mainstream film you know kind of seen as his first mainstream yeah i don't think it has the charm of john waters oh, film. Gosh, it doesn't no. that's the difference is that i think in and andrew i do want to get your opinions on this um but i do think that this is a movie for a different audience. A different generation. Then the I don't even think a different generation. I think it's just yeah. for an entirely different audience and a different sensibility because John Waters' sensibility is literally nowhere to be found in that in that uh, updated version. Andrew, mm-hmm. I know you you're you're big on musicals as well. What do you think of uh, the adaptation remake? It's fine. I mean, you know, it's mind-blowing, the idea of a John Waters movie being made into a successful <laughs> musical. Yeah, like, a, like $200 million it raked in or something like That's that. Nuts. Yeah, I mean, he deserves it. I mean, the guy's movies never made money. They did. They, this was it. And then, you know, after this, they, I think his most expensive movie, probably either Serial Mom or Crybaby, one of the two. But they all lost money, you know, all of them. So I'm, God, I hope they make, I hope they make hairspray forever. At least, you know, let John Waters, you know what I'm saying, get yeah. that paper, yeah. you know, because man, right. the guy, you know, he deserves it. He, he put in the work, he made a PG movie, he made a commercial film. And for him to like do that, 
you know, there's a great degree of compromise had to have been. Oh, absolutely. And so the great payoff, I, I went to see it the weekend. It came out the movie version and uh, just basically oogled um, uh, Nikki Blonsky the whole time. She's super cute in that movie. Yeah. Just, you know, trying to imagine her naked pretty much the whole time. <laughs> Two hours went by like nothing. Oh man, there is some there is some really fun moments with her. I, I don't. I, I certainly didn't hate it. I I don't think I would choose to watch it if it were up against other movies oh, in watch, the catalog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's fair to 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 really say you know what. Oh, I'm going. Obviously, I'm going to watch the John Waters version yeah. many more times in my life. It, but hey, what if they made a Hefty Hideaway the Genetic Opera? <laughs> I'd actually probably like that Me one too, more, dude. <laughs> the genetic opera. Oh, uh, there's a throwback to old film jerks episode where I was a crotchety old man on my porch. But anyways, let's go ahead and move move to the final section of the show. Let's go ahead and what you did say though there was a couple things that were upsetting to you about the remake, and one of oh, them was the yeah. hesitancy of Link's character to fall in love with yeah, Tracy that's Turnblad. yeah some of the yeah some of the things, is- yeah you're 100 percent right. There was two things that really I found to be not only kind of you know indicative of a Hollywood film, but really disheartening coming from the source material was that in the in the remake, they they handled the the segregation are very heavy handed it like beat your beat it across your face kind of way that the original didn't do. And also they were extremely hesitant to have Tracy Turnblatt's character fall in love with Zach Efron. Like the the, the link, she was in love with him, but for some reason you didn't get any of that until the final shot of the film, like typical Hollywood movie where, yeah, we'll make her the star of this movie, but we're not going to give her love. Not until one shot at the very end of the film. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of like the complete polar opposite. Of the original film. And he even, and in the first one, in the original, in the original Hairspray, he never, Link never even thinks twice about her size. And but in the second yeah, he's one, got a, he wants to go to the bone zone almost immediately. <laughs> yeah. Boner town immediately. More like horny college, you know what I mean? Yes. Raging stiffy <laughs> from moment one. But in the in the adaptation of the musical. Zac Efron's character in the scene where they first go to Motormouth Maybell's record shop makes a makes a fat joke and catches himself toward Tracy Turnblad. Yeah, I thought that was just it was so, kind of tacky. I it thought. was so out of turn with the rest of the movie. He like said, they made such a big yeah. deal of of fatness in in the adaptation that I mm-hmm. thought just wasn't present in the original that I just thought, oh, this is... But this you is- know, man, that's one of the last things it's everybody okay to be shitty about. Like, there are people... Yeah! You know, they're, like, not going to be shitty about the race that you are, the religion that you are, or what are, you know, orientation or whatever. Uh, but they, st- it's still a, a thing that people seem to, like, feel fucked up Tolerant about. of! It's yeah. mind-blowing to me. And they're always, you know, like, oh, you know, it's not healthy or whatever. It's like, give me a break, dude. You've not... <laughs> I, I'll show you some acrobatic motherfuckers will turn you around, man. You know, it's just, it's still one of those things. It's, and it's, I still, I believe it. I mean, it's because there are a lot of people that make a lot of money off of you hating yourself. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's true. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what made me kind of toward the end of the film. I was a little disheartened. Yeah, very it. much. So you brought up numerous times while we were watching it. Like, what the fuck? Rah. Yeah, well, it just the whole, I think the whole point of well, one of the main points of hairspray is being confident about yourself, no matter who you are. That's yeah, a primary theme. Yeah. Normalize it. And that way you see what Link sees, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to diminish that, to, to kind of be ashamed of it as filmmakers is they just, it's they kind of disgusting. To, like you could tell the writers can't process it. Like they, you know what I'm saying? Like that's too much for them. It's mind blowing to them. Absolutely. So to not go on and on about the remake, because we're actually talking about John Waters film in this one. Let's go ahead and go down the row and give our final thoughts. Angelique, Thumbs up, thumbs down, and give your thoughts up until this point about Hairspray and its place in John Waters' filmography so far. Of course, thumbs up. I mean, it's a totally enjoyable movie. Its place is right where it should be because we saw that evolution, the leap between what was Desperate Living and Polyester, and now, boom, he cracked the code. He's finally in... The mainstream, he's in our theaters, he's in the living rooms, but he's still got that edge to him. So it's not all squeaky clean. And we'll see a lot. I think he goes more subversive in the next one than he did with Hairspray. But still, he's got that little FU to society that he always (laughs) gets off. But it's got this cute bouffant petticoat edge to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a main theme of all of his films is that there's always a, a sharp tongue mm-hmm. underneath the the really normal exterior going forward. And that's something I've always loved about John Waters films. So, Seth, your final thoughts and thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, two big thumbs up. It's definitely the turning point for him. I think as far as content goes, he becomes more mainstream, a bit more family friendly. But I think uh, even greater than that, he's really become a great, great filmmaker at this point. He handles choreography, uh, crane shots and camera movements are so much more fluid and just everything feels like a bigger, more polished production, but still has that punk rock gutter attitude. And it's Probably the height of John Waters as far as up to this point. Amanda? Uh, my, my introduction to John Waters started with this film. And um, and then, or maybe it was Crybaby, one of the two, I can't recall. Uh, but I, either way, I probably saw Hairspray and Crybaby in very close relationship to one another. And um, I th- I'm really grateful now watching it as an adult that I watched all of his other that I've watched all of his other films in sequence up to now, because I think it gives me a much better understanding of where he, where some of these things come from. Like, I think if you've never seen a John Waters film before in your life, I should say um, the earlier John Waters films, you're going to see this. Maybe you'll pick up this asshole sign with a butthole as the O and think to yourself, where did that come from? But knowing that knowing John Waters' lineage and his filmography to that point, it would make a lot of sense. And I think it gave me a much better understanding of the depth of his characters, if that makes sense. Like it gives me a better understanding of like the John Waters universe. 
and where these character you know, like the cauldron that these characters kind of come like out like the of. quirkiness of yes, the delivery yes, yes. and the camp yep Exactly. It gives you a much better understanding of it. Now, having said that, I don't think that these films can't be enjoyed on their own. Obviously, they were. I've liked them for for almost two decades without ever having watched any of his previous works. Yeah, this is absolutely his most accessible film. Mm -hmm. I mean, the next two films were also mildly successful. I mean, that's yeah. that's being and hair uh, crybaby is my favorite. I like crybaby more than I like hairspray. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to the. But crybaby you would say yes on this. Oh, one. without a doubt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Andrew. Uh, I don't know. I I watch hairspray and crybaby the least out of mm-hmm. all of his films. They just they just seem too they 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 stand out uh too much and it's the reason why they're the ones that uh most most people that are really into john waters like superficially i would say this this is what they think of and i think mm-hmm. that always bothered me a little bit too because i'm like it's two movies it's just two movies the mm-hmm. whole rest of them is not like that you know and and um it, but on the other hand, I'm so happy that he had the success with them. And I'm so happy that the the big studio, you know, New Line at the time had a lot of money. And then, of course, I think uh, uh, Crybaby was a universal. And so it is amazing to see those. But I'm so happy that Serial Mom, Peckers, Cecil B. Demented, and Dirty Shame are uh, a little bit more what I would consider um, – more like the the other John Waters movies. And I don't think he needs to make the same movie over and over again. I don't need him to do one thing all the time. You know what I'm saying? So I'm a little conflicted about it, but um, I do like hairspray more upon revisiting it than I ever did before. Um, so it's not like I don't like it, but um, probably my least favorite. And I tend to, Oh, go ahead. I was saying, I will be the first to admit that I am very much so a superficial John Waters fan, because like I said, prior to us doing this podcast, I had only ever seen those two films mm-hmm. and well, they moving, used to play a lot on cable. Yeah. Television. And move. And I come from a pretty straight <laughs> household. So I, I could not have ever imagined f- seeing or stumbling um, across. Yeah, so like my parents' VHS collection, stumbling across any of this stuff before because I come from a pretty straight and narrow household. But moving forward, I haven't seen a lot of his films after Crybaby either. So I look forward to kind of seeing and watching the evolution beyond this point too. And I think it will give me a much more rounded and um, appreciation of John Waters. And I will say I keep finding myself coming back to desperate living in my mind and really liking desperate living. Well, John Waters films do a very strange arc where yes. they build up where they build up to this and Crybaby and then start to revert back to and I'm really, slowly but surely back to his old days. And I'm really looking forward to that because some of his first films, as we all know, the the church scene, um just Shut, totally shut me off, totally shut me down just because of my own comfort level, just totally shut me down. And so I think that's why I like Hairspray because it still is a little desperate living too. It's pretty raunchy, but it's moving away from 
it's moving away the from stuff. the really offensive to me. I mean, of course, others may not find it that way, but to me, it's moving away from the super offensive stuff. So now I'm really looking forward to that arc coming back down and looking at those next few movies that have a really high production value and much better resources financially for him to be able to do some of the things he wants and getting back to the desperate living and things like that. Yeah, he never goes back past no, desperate living. no i know he never goes back to the the, the butthole guy <laughs> that, that never ha- unfortunately happens are there again. any more giant lobsters no no Dang. more giant lobsters no more chicken rape yeah you know, i think i said it wrong though i think i really i, I think my i think i have a. I've got a big problem with the white people's the romanticized the 1950s and 60s and the kitsch aspect of it, you know? Mm. Right, so, right. So people that like John Waters because of just because of Harris Brain Crybaby, they also tend to be the ones that see him as just this kitsch thing and this uh. you know and like the kitsch aesthetic into it's like I am at this girl one time she had a she had a Frankenstein tattoo that 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 Jack Pierce Frankenstein, you know? Right. And I started to talk to her about it. And I never fucking talked to people about their tattoo. Never. Never, never. But she just got it. And she anyway, she doesn't know fuck shit about mm. anything that this mm. thing is, you know? And I I should be okay with that. I should be, I, you know, it's just a great image. You should. It's okay for you to like that. But inside, like really, Seething. it's going like you motherfucker. <laughs> that's just not. That's just a little you. So to me, it's just like when they're like, oh, I love John Waters. Yeah, so when John Waters dies, it's going to say director of hairspray. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that you bring up a good point though that that I think had he I've been when watching his his earlier movies. For as long as I've been had access to Hairspray and Crybaby, I probably would feel really differently, and my aesthetic towards movies probably would be significantly differently. What would, would be significantly different? I don't know if they like it. Like you know, I've heard people like put on a John Waters party or whatever. Everybody come dress as your favorite. What they mean is your favorite character from Hairspray and Crybaby. Right, right, right. And that's what I'm saying. I think that now, as I'm, I think my view of what John Waters was. Or is has changed significantly because of the process of going through and watching his films, and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I think there's a lot. Well, I think a lot of people um, are scared to go back to those films because they've Ooh, heard I know things. What I, was I know. For. Well, Why? I know for certain, Mr. Mark the Movie Man is uh-huh. not a big fan of John Waters, uh-huh. and he doesn't watch <laughs> any of those earlier films. I know somebody that will not watch David Lynch. Really? Yeah. That's odd. Was are they scared right. it's going to open a weird part of their brain? They're never going to get shut. I think they're just trying to be interesting. To be honest, <laughs> oh, I hate that shit. I hate. Don't that you? Shit. You know what I'm talking about? I knew you'd know what I was talking about. Yeah, I hate Do that you know? shit. I'm I'm more in line with Andrew on this. This used to be. I think as we've we've gone through this, not to reiterate everything that everyone else has said. As I've gotten older. I've grown to appreciate this movie a little bit more, but I know young me when this initially came out and when I was really into uh, the early era, John Waters kind of rejected this movie because it was, it was, as Andrew said, you know, the movie everyone pointed to and it just wasn't not to sound like I was too cool for school. It wasn't edgy. There wasn't anything that was like, fuck you the way the rest of those movies were. Well, but the other movies were fuck you on their face and fuck you 
in like sexually explicit ways and stuff like that. And this is on a but there was level. more going on. Yeah. There was more going on than just that. Hairspray is an '80s movie, man. It was the first one of his movies that I saw. And then I, there was Crybaby. I didn't get into John Waters until Serial Mom. Mm, mm. Just these movies just didn't. You know what I'm saying? Right. My first movie, as I've said before, was Crybaby because it used mm-hmm. to play yeah. all the time on cable television. And then I went back after that point. And then once I started watching everything else, Hairspray was the least thing mm. that I used to watch. You know, I, I still think, I don't know, this is going to be wildly unpopular amongst <laughs> this group. My least favorite still is Female Trouble. I still, it just, there's something about that film that I, while I like, I mean, Hey, let's put a grain of salt on this. All these movies are great, (laughs) but I I mean, in, in retrospect, well, like within this John Waters, that's probably my least watched film Mm. other than Cecil B. Demented. And I'm anxious to actually rewatch Cecil B. Demented. I haven't seen it since his initial VHS release back in uh, the nineties. Have you seen it since you've been making movies? Nope. So, I'm very anxious. I'm very anxious to revisit that one. But Hairspray and Female Trouble were always the two that I watched the least. And I think Female Trouble more because it was just really hard to get for an awfully long time. Uh, but this one on purpose because it just it wasn't my taste. It was too happy for me and too peppy. And now as I've grown older, I actually really, really like this movie a lot. I think it's fun. I think it's breezy. I think there's a a real dark undercurrent of snottiness that runs through this entire thing. I mean, when John Waters shows up in this movie, I die. It is so (laughs) funny. It is so great. Um, And all the characters now, like literally as we're watching these movies, Every month that we do another one of these episodes and I watch another one of these, it's like a family reunion. It's like literally you get to go back and see those people that you loved in the last movie, even though it's starting to get smaller. That group is starting to get smaller and smaller and they're changing into other people. Now we're going to see, you know, Ricky Lake for a few films. It's it's kind of sad. Patricia Hurst. Patricia Hurst. Absolutely. So that's that's another thing is it's not just the reverent humor. It's he is an amazing cast. Like he knows how to put together good ensemble casts. So I always look forward to watching his movies. And this film has an amazing cast. And as I just like characters are always really strong in his movies. And this film, as I've gotten older, I just... There's something about it that I'm starting to like it more. Maybe I'm getting softer. <gasps> I'm getting softer. I'm not that Mr. Edgy McEdgerson oh anymore that I that I need. No, you know what you are? You're a fucking sellout, man. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a fucking sellout. But no, I think I, if you're a fan of early era John Waters and you're Mr. Edgy McEdgerson, you're probably not going to like Hairspray. But um, I would say I don't I hate ranking stuff. I really think this is a fun movie. If you like his other stuff, you'll like this, but don't expect, you know, singing buttholes and and, sh- and shit like that. <laughs> I liked so, it more seeing it in order. I'll say that. What's that? I liked it more seeing it in order. I agree with you 100%. I really like 
really enjoy that I'm watching his filmography in order instead of jumping around because mm-hmm. it's really interesting to watch how things are. Changing. I think you appreciate the yeah, movies yeah, much yeah. more when you do it this yeah, way. So, so I would recommend I, I know I want to be I want to say thank you to everybody out there that's been following this series of episodes. I hope you not only uh, by listening to these episodes, you, you're you're getting something out of this, you know, by the small amount of knowledge we're dropping on you because we're not experts by any way, shape or form. But I'm hoping you're also joining us and rewatching these movies with us because I think it is, it's really great way to sit and um, to, to, to watch these movies. Honestly, I, I, I like every single time now, I know we've said this a couple of times, I watch another one. It's like, I'm seeing these movies in a totally new light. So I'm very happy uh, we did this series of episodes and I can't wait for uh, the next one. We've we've actually decided within the group who the next director is we're going to feature. I know originally I believe we were going to do Ed Wood, but I put it up for a vote in the private Astro Radio Z group. Uh, for all the contributors of the show. And um, first thing I, I thought was really interesting and quite odd was that somebody wrote in Terry Gilliam as an option. Um, did anybody else think that that was really strange that we would be voting for an Astro Radio Z series of episodes on Terry Gilliam? No, nah, it doesn't really fit Astro Radio Z. I don't recall us ever even talking about any of his movies. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. really weird. And it was tied. It was tied for first. I mean, he's a fine filmmaker. It just yes. doesn't has nothing really doesn't fit this podcast's he hasn't even come up in the conversations we've right. had. Yeah. No. Unlike the person who actually won. So the next director series uh we're going to do is Russ Meyer. We're going to do the immortal booby king of the world, Russ Meyer. I, I couldn't be more happy. I think I'm very excited after we're done with John Waters to be tackling Russ Meyer. So uh, look forward to that along with at the beginning, because I think we're going to have one or two more episodes uh, to round out 2016. Um, but beginning, as we had said a couple episodes back, uh, in January, will be the franchise for 2017 is Puppet Master. We'll be going through the million and a half Puppet Master movies. I'm looking forward to that because that movie scared the shit out of me. Oh, when so you're I was gonna, a you want to be involved in this, huh? If I may, please. Oh boy, good luck with this one. Why? There's like 13, 14, 700 <laughs> movies in this. <laughs> Charles Band is still finding more in the warehouse. Oh Jesus! Oh boy. oh boy, what a. We live in a tundra. There's not much we're gonna do for the next three months. <laughs> this is true. Since how it already sn- it finally snowed. Yeah. You would have thought it was December. Here in here in Wisconsin, finally snowed yesterday. But anyways, let's go ahead and finish up this episode. We talked way too long. I have a lot of editing ahead of me. I have a feeling with this episode because I brain farted an awful lot. But uh, let's go ahead and do our shameless shilling section of the show where we tell you, the listener, where you can find us on the interwebs and you can continue to watch and consume more of our media. Miss Angelique Bone, let my listeners know where they can find you. Uh, well, you can uh, find me at the uh, Film Jerks now. Um, we have an episode coming up this week on uh, the movie Stanley. So uh, <laughs> listen to us. Watch it ahead of time. Watch it after the movie. It's a great one. Um, 
And you can also find me and a bunch of other funny cats at thelosthighway.com. Some movie reviews that are, you know, good time fun. <laughs> awesome. Seth Bowen. You can find me at uh, Celluloid Terror on Blogspot and uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those places at Celluloid Terror for all sorts of horror and exploitation film reviews. And Mr. Andrew Shearer. Hey, man. just want to say it was a pleasure, everybody. I love this group. love watching these movies together and talking about them. This has been wonderful. So thank you for including me and always inviting me back and not kicking me off and letting me uh, eat eat candy into the microphone. That's Tone, <laughs> A.K.A. toenails. A.K.A. Yeah. toenails. You know, it's all, it's, it's all very tasty. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> eat enough of them, just put them on your snowball. Tracy would eat them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, she I would. I feel like snowballs kind of taste like toenails. It's like toconut, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that where the, the, the sperm is then spit into the other person's mouth? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, www.gonzorific.com. You can buy the movies that my friends and I make here in Athens. We are a group of weirdos that uh, do model ourselves a little bit after the Dreamline players, but, you know, definitely go off in our own direction. Um, we've also got movies on YouTube for free, and we've got stuff on Amazon On Demand and uh, some stuff on Prime as well. I think on Prime, uh, May of the Dead and Very Scary. So, yeah, if you like John Waters, you might like some of those. Awesome. Well, dear Astro Zombies, I'm going to let you go now. So go ahead, get a drink, and pop those diet pills. Good night. You can find Astro Radio Z on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, YouTube, and anywhere that podcasts are found. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and email us questions, concerns, or just general chatter at astroradiozpodcast at gmail.com. Coming from me, Derek Carey, thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.